April McDaniel is a 20-year accounting veteran. She is a CPA educator and consultant, currently working for Copsa Odie. Copsa Odie has been referred to as the only CPA firm that specializes in the beauty industry. As a CPA with a wide variety of experience, including financial analysis, taxation, human resources, employee benefits, and leases, April can help clients in multiple ways. She understands the financial and management challenges our industry faces. Utilizing this specialized knowledge, she... She's able to serve as a national consultant and educator to the industry. Her ability to take difficult topics and make them easy to understand has made her a very popular speaker. Today, we're going to hear her story, how she got into what she's doing, and we're going to talk about your favorite topic this time of year, taxes. Welcome back to the Hairdresser Strong Show. My name is Robert Hughes, and I am your host. And today, I'm with April McDaniel. How are you doing today, April? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming. Uh, so any so anybody that's listening or watching right now, uh, I met April at a networking lunch po- put on by Professional Beauty Association at the Serious Business Conference in New Orleans. And uh, we had some pretty interesting and engaging conversations, at least I thought. And um, I asked her to come on the show and uh, she said, well, we should do, if we're going to do it, we should do it soon because taxes are coming and that's a pretty, and then considering that's like your main, main thing, um, it made a lot of sense. So here we are. And thank you again for coming on the show. I'm really excited for this conversation. Yeah, it's going to be great. What a wonderful way to meet too. The PBA is such a great organization to be involved in. So I had fun at that lunch. Um, I did too. Not often do I get to really talk about this fun topic of tax over lunch. And you were asking some really good questions and I was just having fun answering. So this is good. Cool. Awesome. Well, why don't we start off with um, where are you from? How did you, you know, how did you get into doing taxes for the beauty industry? Well, so I started out in public accounting actually as an auditor. Um, not, not the auditor that most people think about, uh, most auditors that people think about are our IRS auditors, but I actually worked in private industry, um, doing audits for banks and financial institutions and things like that. And then I went to work for a bank, managed the retirement plan division of a trust company. And then I went to work for an airport for like 10 years, got a ton of experience about running a business because at that place, I was in charge of accounting, finance, HR, property management, leases. Um, I had a piece in all of those things, and it was a wonderful opportunity to learn about business. And then I've been at Copsa Odie for just a little over eight years. Um, My journey to Copsa Odie was an amazing one. I actually took a brief stop here in between my my second and my third child and uh, absolutely love the culture here. We do great work for our clients. I actually feel like I can be who I truly am um, at work and at home. Um, And we started specializing in the beauty industry at Copsa Odie over 40 years ago. Um, The founder of Copsa Odie, Larry Copsa, him and his wife owned a salon. And they went to a salon show uh, because Maggie wanted to find a really good salon software. And Larry had come along because he was researching uh, the 1984 tax law. So his plan was really to stay in the in the um, hotel room and work on that. And she said, no, Larry, I need your help. Come down to the conference floor. Help me look at these softwares. And he did. 
And it was at that time he realized that this industry really needed us. They needed professionals that understood their business that could provide them tax advice, um, as well as consulting with key performance indicators, all different kinds of analysis services and succession planning. And so that really birthed the beauty industry um, being a significant niche here at Copsa Odi. Um, not only do we work with salons and spas, but we also work with distributors. So um, it's a great place to be. I love it. I love the, the creativeness of the people that I get to work with um, in the salon space. It's a ton of fun. And I have a great team around me. There's about 25 to 30 of us. So it's good. Awesome. Cool. So uh, we were when we were talking at lunch, you were telling us um, about how um, you primarily work with commission salons. Is that right? Yeah, that's true. So commission employee based salons is our primary focus. Yes. Okay. And so if um, so the conversation on taxes, uh, would you also be able to speak to any stuff? Could we start in a way where uh, maybe it applies to suite owners as well? Or is that not really part of uh, your purview? Well, for sure. Because if you are a suite renter, you are a business person. And I think that's what sometimes people forget is when you journey off from this space of being an employee and an employee-based lawn, which is maybe where you started, maybe not, um, you are a business person just by default because you're doing it on your own. So there's a lot of things that apply to both. There are some things that I would say maybe are a little bit more specific to one or the other, but certainly planning for taxes um, is similar. The deductions that you can take can take are the same. So yeah, I think I can. I think I can definitely do that. And I do get the opportunity to do that. Um, I I do go to LashCon every year as a guest of Paul and Tessany Lubbers, and I speak. Um, and that the primary uh, focus there is for solopreneurs. So yeah, for sure. All right, cool. So uh, tax day is coming up, April 15th. <laughs> I um you know, by at this point in time, uh, have, I guess, all of the, um, you know, everyone should have all their paperwork. Is that right? About about by now, everyone should have their paperwork to do what they need to do, sit down and start ironing out their taxes. Can you tell talk a little bit about, you know, let's say, um, let's say it's somebody who's been maybe struggling with their taxes, or let's just pretend that the person has never done their taxes before. Could you uh, start start with like kind of maybe high level and we'll get more granular as we go? Sure. Well, first of all, I'll say it can be scary if you've never done it before, for sure. Um, but you have to start somewhere. So honestly, if you think about what makes a business run, you need to think about your service sales and your retail sales, right? So start from the top. That's what you need to know. What are those dollars? And if you're using some type of system to keep track of that, or maybe it's just all coming into your Venmo account or your bank account, hopefully you have a separate bank account for it. A lot of people don't. If you're a solo artist, a lot of times you don't. I would encourage you to. You don't have to as a solopreneur, but it's the best practice. So figure out what you made in total service and total retail sales. And then we need to start talking about the expenses that you have. 
And hopefully you have your receipts so you can add those up. Um, if nothing else, I want you to be thinking about how you can do it better next year. So start start a file, um, whether it's an electronic file, you know, you can take pictures on your phone and keep copies of those receipts there so you have a place for them. Or, you know, get on a Google and start a Google sheet where you track what you're spending at the different supply houses. Because every one of those things that you're buying that you're using in the ordinary course of your business is deductible. So, you know, if you decide, if you don't keep track of those things, you don't, you can't take the deduction for them. So um, be tracking all of that. If you have to use an office area at home as a solo artist, then you should be able to have your accountant that's going to do your tax return consider whether you qualify for some type of office in the home deduction. Um, now, if you have an office at your suite or that's where you do most of your business, then you wouldn't qualify. But most people that run a suite have to have another place where they're doing their business. You know, where are you tracking your bookings? Um, how are you doing your research about maybe what products you want to use? A lot of that times that happens at home, maybe in a home office. So those types of things. Um, if you got education throughout the year, that education is deductible. Okay. So I know in this industry, being the best artist that you can is really, really important. And so you are willing to spend money on education. So make sure you're keeping track of that. Um, your hotel expense for going to that education is deductible. Your travel, so your airline ticket, uh, your meals. Um, now meals, they're a little bit sticky. You would want to talk to your accountant again about meals because the meals rules change almost every year, or they seem to be. With Tax Cuts and Jobs Act happening in 18, it seems like every year we're getting new information. So right now, meals are only 100% deductible if it's for like a customer event or an employee event type thing. They're not deductible all the time. So I think sometimes people get confused and they think they can buy themselves coffee every day on the way to work and that's a deduction and it's not that's not a business purpose gosh i wish i could do that that would be awesome but it's not and so um but that education is something that you definitely you know want to be keeping track of the other thing is that um you want to think about business mileage so for example if you're driving your personal car to go to get supplies or to go to the post office to get mail for the salon or for your suite, those mileage, that mileage is deductible, okay? So you, you wanna track that um, so that you can deduct it. In some cases, depending on your business type, you might be able to even repay yourself for that mileage at the business rate. So that's really important. Um, what, what else can you think of? What else? Okay, so what um, questions I'm, do you have? I got yeah, I got questions. Okay, cool. So let's start with receipts. Um, yeah. So is the I, I, when I say things, uh, just as a disclaimer, I'm I'm saying them because I hear them, not necessarily sure. because I think them, but I yeah. might be also saying them because I do them as well. But um, the, you know, let's just say asking for a friend. All right. No so, problem. Um, Okay. No <laughs> okay. So receipts. Uh, what about the common? Just uh, use a business credit card and give your accountant the the statements, um, or a 
or or use QuickBooks and connect to your credit card, do I still need to keep receipts if I'm using putting everything on one credit card? Can you tell me why, why not? So the IRS says that a credit card statement's not considered substantial evidence for a deduction, okay? That's what the IRS says. Um, so because the receipt shows other information, so if I go to Costco, for example, and I say I bought supplies, I can buy stuff for home. So what the IRS wants to see on that receipt is, well, what did you buy? Do you, did you buy, you know, K-cups and you have a Keurig at the office where you serve coffee? Okay. Um, did you buy um, fruit chews and you have a three-year-old? Probably not deductible, right? So the receipts are really important to be able to document the business use of the expense. That's why it's important. Um, Amazon is a really big one. And Amazon has a really cool business tool that you can connect through QuickBooks Online, where you can actually keep your receipts within QuickBooks Online through that Amazon um, feed. And it's really nice. It's really great for, especially for salons that have maybe two or three locations and they have different managers that are making purchases. The owner can go in and see what they bought. It gives a little bit extra control, but you definitely have to have the receipts if you were to get audited. Um, if we are working on a tax return and we see a bunch of expenses that could be considered personal, possibly, maybe you could buy something there personally. Now, for example, if we see a bunch of salon-centric receipts, we know they're buying supplies, right? But if we're seeing Costco, we're seeing Sam's Club, or we're seeing Amazon, we're gonna ask more questions. Like, tell me, tell me what it is, you know? And QuickBooks Online actually allows you to scan in those receipts and attach them to the transaction. So that's nice too. It's a great way to be able to keep the stuff. That's cool. So uh, if I guess if we're not using QuickBooks, we should maybe get QuickBooks, it sounds like. Yeah, we uh, highly recommend it. There are other ones that you can use, but um, it's certainly our preference. Okay, cool. All right. Um, home office. So the home mm -hmm. office, uh, let's say I'm a salon owner or a, or a suite or I rent a suite. Um. Is this one, is this a common expense uh, in the industry? I mean, a common deduction in the industry. Well, it depends. It depends on what entity type you are. Let me explain that. When you're an S corporation owner of a salon, that means that you're an employee of that salon. Okay. 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 So let me say that again. If you're an S corporation owner of a salon, you are by default an employee of that salon. Okay. You have to be paid on a W-2. Okay? okay. That makes you an employee. So all of a sudden, the business is not your, it, it, you own it, of course, but you're an employee. So deducting your office at your house, all that does is create income for you as the employee too. Okay. Right. Doesn't really work the best on an S corporation. So, because I've had people say, well, can't the salon just pay me rent for my office in the home at my house? Well, yeah, they could, but then you're going to get a 1099 for rent. 
and have to pay right. tax on that, okay? Might be able to get a little bit of a deduction. Sometimes it's not worth the work on an S corporation is what I'm saying. On a solopreneur, where typically it's a very small space that you're renting, really what you're renting is just a space to do hair or do massages, do nails, whatever your trade is. You don't usually have a space separate from that within your space to do books and all that kind of stuff. For those people, it really does work pretty well. Now, what they have to do in order to show, um, again, substantial evidence or substantiation is they need to be keeping a calendar. Uh, we suggest that you're working in that home office eight to 10 hours a week. So how do you do that? Well, you know, maybe in the morning you get up and you look at your book for the day, you get online, maybe you look at some education, see what's going on in the industry, listen to a great podcast, you know, do some things in your office, um, work on maybe your goals for the, the week, whatever it might be. And you need to be documenting that on a calendar. Now, is your CPA going to ask for it? Probably not, but you will have it if you get audited, right? So that's the thing about having a home office. It's, it's definitely an expense that you can take, but you need to make sure that you're actually using it as a home office. Could, um, could, um, could an S-Corp be registered in another state from where you're operating your business and the S-Corp pays rent to the person that's working in the business and that be a business expense? So a self-rental does happen and it can be in a separate state. Um, I'm going to use a different example, not for office in the home, but, you know, I could own a building in Massachusetts and I could also own the salon in Massachusetts, but under different entities. And that salon could pay me rent living in Nebraska for a building that I own in Massachusetts. Those self-rental situations are very, very common. We okay. actually encourage our salon owners to keep a building separate from the salon if they're going to own the building. It makes more sense to do that because then we have two assets that are easily separated if we want to sell the salon and continue to get income from rent. Okay. It actually is a great tool for an investment. Okay. Does that All make right, sense? Cool. Yeah, yeah, that yeah, that makes sense. I um the home office, I, I, I've been told that home office deduction is uh, raises red flags and you're more have a higher probability of getting audited if you take that deduction. Is that have you heard, do you know that of that to be true or is that like some speculation on the part of the person who told me that? Well, I haven't seen it happen. Um, okay. I, I think that there's a lot of other things that I see on tax returns for salon owners that are red flags. Okay. That I put way above a home office deduction. Okay, I want to know what those are. Uh, let, let, I got a couple more th questions. Okay. Okay. Um, you're talking about meals, and um, yeah. so when we go away on a trip to go for a class, are can we write off all of our meals on that trip? If they're business meals, so like if you go away on a trip. And you stay an extra two days because you're going to have fun for two days after that? No. Okay. 
The ones that are truly related to the conference, yes. Okay, but not the ones after that. Now, okay. let's say that you and your team, uh, it's Sammy, right? Yeah. Okay, right. so let's say that you guys decide to stay an extra day to do some planning for your own business, um, some strategic planning, okay? As long as you have good documentation that you spent over half of the day doing that, then that meal would be deductible because it's a business meal. You need to talk about business before, after, or during. You need to document who it was with. And it needs to be within reason. Like you couldn't go and spend $500 for a meal. Do you know what I mean? Uh, okay. Okay, so while if I'm away on a trip, the meals I'm eating during the days of the class or conference, I guess, would be considered an expense, but unless on any other extra time is not an expense unless I spend at least half the day working on business. Correct. And the meals have to be within some reason. sort of reason. Yeah. And uh, so basically just don't go to like the only Michelin star restaurant in the area or something. Right. Yeah. Like avoid high prices. Okay. Now, now I can argue if you got audited for that and you did that, I could argue that you went there to experience really good customer service so that when you got home, you knew how to treat your clients, right? Yeah. But I would expect to find on your documentation that you noted how the bellhop treated you, how the waiter treated you. Did the manager come out and say anything to you? So there are things, and every accounting firm really gets to make some decisions on this, whether they're willing to sign a tax return or not for those things. But you know, what I always love about my clients is that they ask the question first, hey, I'm thinking about doing this. Is this a business expense or is there a way to make it a business expense? Do you know what I mean? So sometimes it, there can be some gray area and we have to talk through that gray area. And at the end of the day, it's the client's decision, really. And we can decide to walk away from that client if we want to. But our goal, I guess, is that if we can make it a business expense, let's do that. But we also want to give you the level of risk, you know, a red flag on a tax return, maybe for meals that are thousands and thousands of dollars. It's not worth that, right. especially if you're doing something else you shouldn't be doing because they're going to come look at you for meals and then find that. So, yeah, yeah that's good. That's a really good point, too. Uh, okay, so. So what about meals when I'm um what about meals when in general like uh I was under and, and like you said the rules change all the time on meals but if I I may be in, incorrect about this so I love I can't wait to hear what you say but if I go out and I have meals often and they're business related how am I supposed to determine when or when not? And I'm not talking about when I'm on travel, just uh, when I'm not on travel. Uh, could you help us help us uh, understand when we help us discern when it's a, an appropriate deduction versus not for, well, say, the salon owner versus, say, the suite renter? So it's going to be the same for the salon owner versus the okay. suite renter. Okay. What are you going to business? What are you going to lunch to do or going to dinner to do? And who's there? That's important because okay. you can't 
just decide to take your family out for dinner and say that's a business related dinner. That doesn't count. Okay. okay. And you certainly can't do that. Let's just say that your family owns the business, right? So you're out to dinner with your spouse and you're going to talk about the business. Well, that might be okay to do once in a while. That's certainly not a weekly thing. It's certainly not a everyday thing. You know what I mean? So you have to keep that within reason. And again, on the receipt, you should be documenting the business purpose of the meal. So, you know, if I, um, I'm an employee of Copsa Odi, I'm not an owner. So as an employee, I could say to um, one of the other employees, hey, let's go to lunch. I think that's going to be the best time for us to talk about these upcoming webinars I have going on. And I'd really like to get your information, your input on how I should promote them to our clients. Well, that's a, I have a business purpose for having that lunch and I could have Copsa Odi pay for it. It's still only 50% deductible. So it needs to be worth it. It needs to be worth it to Copsa Odi to pay for that because if I spend $50 at lunch, they can still only deduct 25. Right. Okay. So 50% okay. deduction and uh, don't, don't, oh, don't abuse it because like you said, it could cause you to come under audit and then, and then if there's anything else going on, they'll fund that as well. Uh, okay, well, and cool. never mind that you want to be a profitable business, right? And to be a profitable business, it means making business decisions. And if it if you really want to know how your business is operating, it means not spending money on things that aren't ordinary and necessary in your business. And certainly going out to eat every day, buying a coffee every day, a person that's living under a budget and living and trying to be a good business person wouldn't do that. Right? Nice. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I agree. I mean, I think uh, about my personal life. Yeah. First of all, my husband would kill me if I stopped at Starbucks every day or scooters or wherever. I mean, that's six, seven dollars a day that I would spend on coffee. And then if I was thinking I was going to run it through a business and then find out I only get to deduct three dollars of that a day and I've spent hundreds of dollars on it. I mean, we've had clients that they spend $14,000, $20,000 a year on meals only to find out they can only deduct 10. Mm. Is it worth it? I, I don't, I guess I don't think it is. Yeah. Um, okay. So I'm curious to know what other, um, what other types of deductions are you or red flags or mm -hmm. anything that people should like landmines that people could potentially fall in, be, find themselves uh, on. Um, and I'm trying to think, yeah, let's start with that. Automobiles. Okay. I have only seen in a handful of salons having an auto owned in the salon actually working. Okay. Here's why. There's this big misconception out there that if you buy a car and put the salon's name on the side of it, that you can deduct the entire car. And that's not how it works. And it has to be primarily used for business purpose. And your commute to and from work doesn't count. So let me repeat that because that's where people get tripped up. Your commute to and from work does not count. 
So think about where you would drive a salon car if you owned one. And it would probably be to the supply house and it would be to the post office. That's probably not enough use of a car to pay $80,000 for a BMW and take a deduction in the salon. <laughs> it doesn't work. <laughs> You're laughing because you know people do it. <laughs> and it's so frustrating when I see it. But what the IRS says is that it has to be primarily a business use. Now, if you have multiple locations, that's when it usually works. You buy okay. a car, the car has to be purchased in the salon's name, insurance has to be in the salon name, registration has to be in the salon name, all of that. And typically it sits at the salon and it's driven from location one to two to three and back around, maybe to the supply house, to the get the mail. Now, the salon owner might actually use that car for personal use, which is okay, but then what happens is that mileage is calculated and added back to their W-2. Mm. So they do pay some tax on that. And that's the correct way to do it. That's the correct way to have an auto really in any business. Um, and what I always say to people is if I'm looking through their things and I see an auto, I always say, do you also own a car personally? And if they say no, I say, well, then we better have some mileage added back to your W-2 because I know you're driving your kid to soccer and I know you're doing these. I mean, you have to be, right? So unless you're in New York, which we have some salons in New York where people don't necessarily drive cars, you know, in those big areas. But um, I'd say cars are a big one. Okay, so um, is the, uh, I remember if, sorry. I feel like back at in the day, at some point, I heard that if you wrap your, not just your logo, but like wrap the car nope. in logos and it's like a driving advertisement, then it becomes like marketing material or I don't know, something like that. So the wrap, 100% is deductible. Okay. The cost you pay for the wrap is deductible, but the car is not. Okay. And then if you paid yourself... I guess I guess in theory the business could pay yourself for marketing fees, but then you'd have to claim that as income. Right. Right. So there's no getting around it. <laughs> no, but you yeah. can track your mileage that you drive the car to go between the salon and the distrib the distributor or wherever else you're going, and you can get yourself paid back for that mileage or take a deduction for it. So it's you know there is a way to get some tax benefit for it. It's just not the way that people think. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then what about, um, are, is there any, anything else? Cause uh, I know the time we're wrapping up on time here and uh, this conversation got a, a little more in depth than I was expecting, which I'm very excited for. Cause uh, I feel like this is great content. So as we kind of think about the last, uh, you know, at, before we get off, what is it that is really important that people uh, know as they start going into outside of if there are there any other deductions that they need to be careful about? Um, and and is there anything else that you would uh, make any suggestions or recommendations? My top 
uh, tip right now is to make sure you're reporting all your income. Um, the laws are changing about how Venmo and cash apps are reporting things. Um, if you're using a credit card processor, the IRS is going to know the income that you are receiving and you need to be reporting it because it's only a matter of time before there's enough matching documents between all of these different processing companies that um, you will get caught, I think, at some point. So be reporting all of your income, including tip income. Tip income is completely taxable. It's not a gift. So could we, could we talk, could we just take a, like two minutes on that? So I, yeah, sure. I was, I was doing some research on uh, tips and I don't know if I, I heard a story would prompted the research or the other way around, but I came, I, I remember this story in, in, I think it was, no, not I think it was in California and um, there was, it was like some sort of ruling or, or case or it's the law or whatever that said that and I, I think it was a I think it was just a case in California or someone in California but anyway what I read was that the IRS is allowed to assume a certain percentage of your revenue and ta and and if you didn't claim those tips then it could be considered a very bad and thing that you can end up getting in, not only in trouble for but also I guess trouble in terms of fines, um, but could you talk about? Do you know how if that applies? That was for restaurants. Uh, so could you talk about that as far as like, can you just get away with not claiming your tips? Like so many people think that you can, because it seems like there's so many people that say, "Well, I don't you want to use Venmo uh, anymore because I don't want to claim my tips," or um, or telling their clients to put in like lettuce or something like that in the comments so that they can avoid it so those are two separate things i think and maybe they're not but to me those you know one thing asking your clients to commit fraud and then the other thing is um is the it just because i don't report tip income and i don't ever put it in the bank and there's no paper trail is it actually are you actually safe from being getting you know being like oh no actually you have to still pay taxes on it, even though there's no paper trail for it? Well, that's kind of a loaded question. There's a lot of questions there. Okay. <laughs> okay. So first of all, um, California is definitely one of the harder states to operate in. They're, they're, very, um, they're very leading edge on different types of things. But this TIF rule is a federal law. So we can talk about it as a federal law. Okay. California often has um, lawsuits, employment lawsuits, and so that's probably where you heard about it. But the TIP law is a federal law, so we can talk about it on that level. Um, first, I want to say to people is, where is your moral compass, first of all? Like, is it ethical for you to get all of this income and not pay taxes on it. Because I can tell you, I'm a W-2 employee and I pay taxes on every dollar that I get. I'm paying for streets, I'm paying for school, I'm paying for Medicaid, I'm paying for all these things. And I don't mind doing that. But when my friend is not reporting all this cash and he's driving around in an SUV, how does that make you feel? I mean, if you're, there's all this uh, hype about being a boss babe, right? Be a boss babe of your, of your 
company. How are you being a boss babe if you're lying about your income? And you should be proud of your income. You should be proud of the fact that you do $100,000 in, you get $100,000 in commissionable sales in a, a year or $100,000 in commission and you get $20,000 in tips. You should be proud to say I made $120,000, not lie and say I made 100, right? Because when you go to the bank to get a loan, to buy a car, to buy a house, they think you made 100. They don't think you made 120. And then when you go back to them and say, why didn't you give me the loan? They'll say, you don't make enough money. And you'll say, oh, yeah, I do. Look at my bank account. And then they're like, oh, well, you lied. So I'm not going to give you the loan anyway. Right? You know, so I, I, I love I, I, I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to say, well, let's just assume let's say for the people who don't care about lying about their income, they might care about acquiring assets and having the ability to build generational wealth. And uh, I mean, that's one of the, my things that I'm interested in is uh, leaving something for my kids. And sure. how are you going to do that if you can't acquire assets? And you can't acquire assets unless you show income. Anyway, right. sorry. Go yeah. ahead. <laughs> no, you and I are on the same page and we could stand on this um, you know, thing forever, right? But the other thing that I will tell you is the IRS has an audit guide that's specific to the beauty industry. It's chapter 10 of the IRS audit guide. And it specifically states in that IRS audit guide that they assume that you receive at least 10 to 15% in tips. That audit guide is so old that when it's updated, it will say 20 to 25% because that's what's truly happening today is 20 to 25%. So when, so for example, when Here's a red flag. We can talk about that. Maybe more red flags in the next episode. But um, it's very easy as a person like us to look at your tax return and say, mm, you're not reporting everything. I can find it pretty easy. Uh, there's certain places on the tax return to look for whether that tip income is getting reported. So it's, um, I don't know what the IRS statistic is on how often they find it. But I can tell you that as increasingly more efforts are made to use artificial intelligence and to use matching documents, they're going to find it. You can't license a very, very expensive car and then on your tax return say you made no money at all and not think at some point the IRS and that county is not going to get together and figure it out. Totally. So um, this... Okay. So what about, um, I opened up a Venmo business account because I wanted to have two different Venmo accounts sure. and I just swallowed the 2% fee that they charged me. Yeah. And, um, although like what I used to do is I used to go through, it took me two days to do this, but go through every single Venmo transaction and itemize it. And I got so sick of spending two full days doing that. I mean, maybe two, four hour sessions of going in and putting it into a spreadsheet to give to my accountant. Um, so now I can just run this report and uh, hand it hand it to my, my person. Is that something you recommend or do you think that people shouldn't spend the 2% and, uh, and just go through and itemize it. I think separate records are always best. Just like I said, I've said before, you know, that you should really have a separate bank account that's just for your business. I think separate Venmo makes sense. Um, I think Venmo is going to start cracking down on that too. They're going to start. They have. People are using 
it for business when it's really, or using it for personal when it's really business, that's how Venmo is going to continue to be able to offer a good product. It's, it's kind of like when you have somebody sitting in your chair and you say, hey, you know what? I could put this gloss on your hair and it would help it so it doesn't get bra brassy for longer. And you say, well, what does that cost? Oh, $8. And I say, well, that's not worth it. But then I go down the street and I buy a tube of it and I do it myself, right? The, the Venmo thing to me, it's just another example of somebody not wanting to spend a little bit of money to get the product that they really need, right? I, I need that in my hair and I'm not willing to spend it with you, but I'm willing to go get it somewhere else. Right. Is that, is that a good analogy? Like, you know, I think. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think my, my big, and I know we got to wrap it up here, but I think the, uh, I think the big conversation that I have with, uh, like my my own my own colleagues uh who some people are like i got people who don't refuse to take venmo they just want cash and uh there's a reason for that and i walked out of a nail salon one time when they yeah say, when they say you have to pay me in cash i'm like i'm out of here yeah well and i'm also more concerned that venmo i'm gonna get in, i mean i don't know if this is how venmo will work but Venmo, the way they're upping their, they notice that clients are saying tip or putting the haircutting emoji and uh, they have, I, I just assuming that their system can identify patterns and uh, I don't, I mean, how, how is that going to turn? What is that? What's going to happen? Am I going to get reported by Venmo? <laughs> I don't know. You know, um, am I just going to get a 1099 and then I'm going to have to like contest it or something like that? Um, so anyway, yeah, I, I, that's why I switched over. I was like, I was sick and tired of getting all these messages. Is this a business expense? Is this a business expense? You know? And so I was like, you know what? I'm not going to do it. And uh, plus my life is very complex in terms of like my schedule and time. And I just, anything to save me time, um, 2%, I, I'll pay it. But um, so I know husband and I were just having this conversation last night and he said if people would spend just as much time running their business as they do trying to figure out how to not pay taxes business would be so much more successful and totally. it's so true yeah totally absolutely all right well this this is a this is a great conversation i think that uh it's it's a good one as people start going into uh checking thinking about their taxes especially if they're about to submit a bunch of stuff to their accountants uh or or i mean maybe they're doing it themselves um so if anybody uh wanted to hear more communicate with you more or um find out more about copsa odi what should they do uh, I would suggest you sign up for our newsletter, and you can do that by going to our website. It's copsaod.com, and then you can just click to sign up for it. You'll want to watch for that message to come in to confirm you really want to be on it and say you do. Um, I do a lot of education like I'm doing with you today um, and a lot of different webcasts and things like that that go out through our newsletter. Uh, that's probably the best way. And then we also send out a newsletter about once a month that's about tax topics that are relevant to the industry. So um, that's the best way to do that. We're not really awesome on our social handles, 
uh, you can definitely look me up there, but we're not very active. So um, we're CPAs. <laughs> we should get better at it. We're trying, but um, probably the newsletter is the best way. Okay, great. So I'll make sure that information is in the description below. And if you're whether you're watching or you're listening on podcast, uh, you can just look in the link to the description. Look at the description below, and you can see that information. So you don't. So you know the spelling and uh, the instructions. All right, and. Um, I would love to have you on again, and I would love to talk more about uh, red flags. I feel like that is such good conversation because I have these kind of conversations all the time, and I'm sure there's so many people out there that are thinking that they got a legitimate deduction and they don't. And that's the people that I'm most concerned about, not necessarily the people who are trying to get away with deductions they shouldn't be trying to get away with. <clears throat> um but I also, you mentioned secession planning in a conversation that we had. And so maybe maybe in the future, we could have that conversation also, uh, you know, after the whole tax uh, tax season's over, maybe. How does that sound? Yeah, that'd be great. That'd be awesome to do that. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time. And I uh, look forward to having you on the show again soon. Thank you so much. Happy tax season.